Hey guys, welcome back to the Harbor Site. Uh, this episode is with Doc Kirk Parsley. He's a Navy SEAL, and through life and experience, he just became, I guess, uh, the sleep doctor. Uh, he just really got into uh, figuring out how to get these these high level athletes and our, and our tactical athletes, Navy SEALs, and, and special operators to sleep better, which is going to imp- you know improve the recovery, improve. You just make life happy. Their testosterone, hormones, everything, growth, and uh, you know, I, this is something that you know I wrote about in my book, Excommunicated Warriors. So if you haven't checked that out, do to go to www.xwarrior.com, get that. But it's I talk a lot about it in that book, and the, and at the end of it, I say if you want to get healthy, you want to get better, you got to start with your sleep. So it's real fitting that I found this guy, and uh, we have you know about an hour and fifteen minute conversation about this subject and, and how he kind of came to be and where this came from. So uh, without you know further ado, here's the episode. I hope you guys enjoy. I didn't, I didn't know who you were previously, previously, but last week I was on a podcast called Warrior Soul Podcast, uh-huh. Chris. Yep. And, and man, he said a lot of good things about you. And, and uh, I, wrote, I wrote a book called Excommunicated Warrior. And it's about, it's about human transition, like transitioning through life and different chapters of life. Well, the, what I, what I found out through helping, I guess initially was helping veterans and then moving into, to more of the civilian side, I realized that there was, uh, that people got stuck in, in transition when, when bad things happen, whether it's leaving the military, a death in the family, a divorce, uh, a lo- loss of a job after you know twenty nine and a half years, um, or a career, like we all go through this. And I outline the seven stages of transition. Well, at the end of that, I, the last chapter is the three steps to happiness. Yeah. And the first one, the first one, and the biggest thing that I bang the drum on is sleep. Right on. And because I just I just saw that that was like if you try to do anything before getting your sleep under control, I, you're, you're basically working backwards and you're not going to go anywhere. Um, and then, so, so I got on that podcast, he told me about you and I checked out all your stuff and I was like, yes, I have to talk to this guy. Um, so can you, can, can you give, tell me a little bit about your background? Cause obviously you're a Navy SEAL. So I want to hear a little bit about that and, and how you kind of got to where you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's it, uh, it it well for one thing, it's just it's super exciting to to talk to somebody who has that the mindset that you already have about it, and um, and you know we we definitely chew a lot of the same dirt as far as you know getting around in this space and beating this drum. Um, so uh, I like I I joined the Navy right out of high school. Uh, I was. I was, a, I was a terrible student. I actually failed. Okay. <laughs> actually, I actually did not graduate high school. Uh, Neither did I. Yeah. I, I, I did 10th, 10th grade and I left. <laughs> well, I did four years and I was a, and I was a sophomore at the end of four years. I <laughs> said, all right, well, I think it's time to do something else. So, uh, you know, I'd always had uh, delusions of going to play D1 football somewhere because I grew up in uh, Texas, small town in Texas. And so like everybody went and played football in college. And I, but I, I mean, I was getting D's and F's in like third grade. So uh, <laughs> there, was, there was no chance of me going to college. Uh, 
I love it. And I thought I was stupid, you know, because I couldn't do well in school. Uh, Same here. Like yeah. I did great at work and life, but like school, I just it, it just didn't click. It, yeah. it wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I was like, man, this really, yeah. But you know, I was a good athlete. You know, like I was, I was big and I was fast and I was strong and uh, you know, like. I wouldn't say I had endurance in the classical sense, but I was just resilient. You know, like I could, I could take a beat down and come back really easily the next day. And you know, that's I think kind of the key to SEAL training anyway. Um, and so I got my GED. I joined the military to be a SEAL. Um, they had just at that point come up with this program uh, called the Dive Fair. So I don't know if it works the same for recon guys, but in the um, well, actually, an interesting story is that my boxing coach in my hometown, he was the Marine recruiter for the for Katy, Texas, where I lived at the time, which was, that, <laughs> which was actually a small town at that point. Now it's, it's part of Houston, but it was, you know, there's only like 3,000 people in the town. And he had been my boxing coach for two years and talked to me all the time about recon, 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 recon. And I was, and you know, Heartbreak Ridge came out, and I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, recon, man, go be recon." Um, and then learned about the seals like six months before I joined the military, and I was like, "No, that's what I want to do." Like that's you know, like I watched a documentary on it. Like this is the toughest training in the world. I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do. So I go to you know, I went through seal training, uh, joined this dive fair program where uh, they basically guarantee you. Uh, that you can go to SEAL training if you pass the screening test. Otherwise, okay. when you're in the Navy, like you can take the screening test and you can, like you can ace it, but then it's still up to your command that you know, you're supposed to be going to after boot camp if they're going to let you go or not. Which, which out the gate for those listening, like the 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 SEAL screening test is no joke. It's a it's a good test. Like I I did it I did it back in '04. Uh, when I went through when I went through ARS, so it's a very good test. Yeah, so so I, I was fortunate to have that. To I mean, just to show like how little, truly uh, ignorant, naive I was. Uh, I actually didn't know that the Navy was going to pay me. It <laughs> like it never occurred to me that I was going to get paid. Uh, I'm just going to go do this thing because it's badass. Right? I, <laughs> yeah. I, like you know, they're going to give me. Food. They're gonna give me clothes. They're gonna give me a place to sleep. Like, and I'm either gonna be training to kill people or killing people. So, what the hell would I need money for, right? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> and I yeah. just assumed I would live on the base forever and like wear a uniform. Like, I don't know, like the movies. I didn't. I never occurred to me. So, well, that's before that's before social media and the internet. So, like, we didn't we didn't really have much to go off of no. other than our own imagination, right? So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so that, that was one of, you know, when I took the screening test, there, there are two, now there are three SEAL, uh, they're called SEAL motivators, and they're basically just people who screen people for the SEAL team. And they they had this morning workout um, and they that they invited certain people to. And so I went to this morning workout, pretty much all of my boot camp, and ended up like half my boot camp was just training with these guys instead of doing all the regular crap, which was great. Um and uh, at some point I said, you know, he said something about hazard duty pay or jump pay or something. And I was like, what is that? Like, what do you mean? And he figures out that I didn't know I was getting paid. <laughs> he thought that was the funniest damn thing he's ever heard in his life. He took me around to every single office in the building and made me tell the person <laughs> that, the story, that I didn't know I was getting paid. 
so anyway, uh, made it through SEAL training, uh, did three platoons during the Clinton administration. Uh, like we had the Gulf War break out during my first platoon, so that workup got shortened down and we were supposed to go, but you know, the, how that thing went, like it was, yeah. it, you know, there's like six bullets and <laughs> a bunch of white flags. And so by the, yeah, time right. we were, by the time we were ready to go, they're like, yeah, we're going to send you to the Philippines and we'll call you if we need you, you know? Um, yeah. So I, you know, ended up really just, you know, no combat seal, the Hollywood seal, as we call it. Um, and, uh, you know, got, I, I heard, I've heard those were, those were good days. <laughs> those were amazing days. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what I've heard. Those were the coolest, that was the coolest place to spend your 20s. I can guarantee you. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, now that I live here in Austin, I hooked up with about six former seals <clears throat> and, uh, it was about half and half. So it's half, like half of them were like post nine 11 seals and half of us were pre nine 11 seals. And we were just exchanging stories about our time in the teams. And the, and the consensus across the board was like, the Hollywood seal was way better. Like that was, way more <laughs> yeah, fun. right. Like, yeah. Like, right. We lived like rock stars and it was like, yeah, you guys had a, you guys had a great time. Uh, I, I can't, I don't complain about my service, but I hear stories of like these med floats and the, all these training exercises that people yeah. did out in, out yep. in Europe. And like, that yeah. wasn't my life. You know no. what I mean? Like that would, that's not, that all sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I apologize. We hit this at just the wrong time. My, my gardener's not consistent other than the day he comes, but he came like right when this podcast was starting. So it, that's all right. Probably, people can probably hear some leaf blowing and mowing and stuff in the background, but um, that's all right. People's people's constitution can deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully <laughs> if they can't, they have bigger problems in this podcast. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I, I did the field gig, um, you know, Clint administration, and you know what it's like. Well, I mean, you probably don't know because of your timing, but in, in that time, it's like, you know, it's the, it's the same training trips, it's the same deployments. All we really did was fit, like we'd go over, we'd work with everybody else's special forces, train them, yeah. do, you know, do a little police action here, a little drug addiction with one of the agencies or something, but it you know, it just wasn't like a super exciting thing. It was just a whole lot of training. Um, just, just getting jack tanned and, yeah. and ripped yeah. constantly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, I met a girl, I was falling in love, you know, being a SEAL, like, there were very few married SEALs. It was kind of a single man's job and a young man's job. And kind yeah, of, kind of felt like I was becoming neither. It's time to like look for other things. Um, and the girl that I was dating was in physical therapy school. Uh, she's getting her master's. And so I used to take her textbooks on deployment and read them. Um, just because I've always been interested in that type of stuff. Um, you know, just and just to make myself a better athlete. So right. exercise, phys- physiology, and kinesiology and everything. So, uh, so I thought, yeah, maybe I'll go be a physical therapist. And <clears throat> I got out, started working at a, at a physical therapy uh, well, I started college and then I had to, you have to get like 2000 volunteer hours to just be a physical therapist. Right. Um, just to apply. I mean, so I started putting in my volunteer hours. <clears throat> they hired me within a few weeks and then that was my job all through college. Um, college took me five years because I had to do a year in junior college just to make up for high school before I could actually start college classes. Uh, <laughs> That's your, your penance. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then, you know, 
pretty quickly decided I didn't want to be a PT, but I worked in this great sports medicine center that had like every kind of healthcare practitioner you could possibly imagine working there. And I got on really good with the doctors and they were like, you should go be a doctor, man. Like, like this is what, you know, this is what, this would fit. You should go do ortho. Like that's your, like everything you're interested in. And I'm like, you know, are you guys smoking crack? Like I, I didn't graduate high school. I'm not getting into medical school. And they're like, Right. And uh, so we're having this argument out in the hall that the Dalai Lama of the, of the clinic, you know, the, uh, Lee Rice was the owner and founder of it. And like this, this God of, of uh, sports medicine in, in Southern California. And he comes out into the hallway, like doesn't even, you know, doesn't even like try to smoothly interject into the conversation. He just walks up to me and he goes, the question isn't, could you get in? The question is, would you go if you could get in? And I was like, okay, you're right. So, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I decided I was going to be a doctor. Um, and then, you know, to age myself a little more when, you know, the internet was not that big of a deal <laughs> when, when uh, this was happening. So um, we, you'd go to the, you'd go to the bookstore and you'd look through these Kaplan review books and they would, like, yep. yeah. And it would say, you know, like, here's the average GPA and MCAT scores and what they look for and price of the school and all that stuff. And then you figure out who you're going to apply, which schools you're going to apply to. And then medical school, like it's kind of like SEAL training, like almost nobody gets in. And, uh, <clears throat> but unlike SEAL training, like if you get in, you almost certainly pass. Very few people fail out of medical school, but but only about 10% of people who apply actually get in. So you have to be strategic and apply to like 20 schools. And so as I'm going through the book, I find, I find out that the military has their own medical school. It's total news to me. And I'm like, really? Yeah, let me read about this. And then I find out, well, my time in service will count towards my pay. And I'll go through as an 01, as an ensign uh, with my, Brilliant. my seven years of time. So Brilliant. Like, so I'm like, all right. So I was already married. I already had a kid. I'm like, all right. So I can support my family while going to medical school and come out with no debt. That like you, you just have to. If I if memory serves me right, you just have to give them a little bit of time yeah, back afterwards, right? Yeah, it's eight years after you graduate. So yeah, I'm just like, I'm like, oh, well, shit. I'll just go back to the SEAL teams and be the doctor there, and like it'll be a great time and. Uh, whatever, eight, eight years doesn't seem that big of a deal when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars and then the, yeah, the stress, right. the stress of the marriage, you know, the stress on the marriage. I mean, yeah, my you wife needed to work and raise kids and you're basically being debt for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So anyway, I went to the military's medical school then I did, um, the military, the Navy, it's a, it's purely, uh, it's only credited in the Navy. It's not like a, a national uh, residency, but in the Navy, there's a residency for undersea medicine where they teach you, you know, a lot about hyperbarics, obviously, and dive physiology yeah. and dangerous yeah. life. And, um, and then you learn a lot of the nuclear uh, physics and safety stuff for the submariners because mm -hmm. they're dive medical doctors as well. So I went through that training um, and then went, went uh, to the SEAL teams. <clears throat> as as the doctor there, I uh, got there at a great time where I was building, you know, you know how the funding in the military takes 10 years to come through. So um, yeah. about it had, it had been about 10 years by the time I got there. And they, 
they finally had the go ahead and the approval and the money to develop the very first sports medicine facility that the West Coast SEAL teams had ever seen. Um, and everybody, and, and, you know, to put that in context, this is 2009, and uh, everybody would have assumed that, you know, the SEALs were treated like professional athletes or something, but, like, we, like, we had nothing. Um, we, like, we didn't even have, like, a strength and conditioning coach. It was just, like, you know, you just... Oh, I remember, yeah. You just did PT, man. Just, like, whatever. You just did it, you just yeah. go out and run and do some pull-ups and swim. Yeah, and put your... calisthenics put, and... Lift yeah, put your beer down, yep. put your cigarette out, yep. and, and then go hit that 10-mile run. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I got there at just a great time. They put me in charge of building this thing out. <clears throat> yeah, I hired our, you know, our first strength and conditioning coach, our first athletic coach, our first nutritionist. So, so what year was this? This is 09. Yeah, 2009. So, yeah, so this was really when socom was really pushing the per, like the perez yeah or uh the what, what did socom call it the human uh, human performance initiative human performance initiative yeah, yeah. so that, yeah. that's cool you were part of that Yeah. so i was i was the beginning of the hpi on on the west coast uh the east Excellent. the east coast was a couple of years ahead of us so they already had their facility um so we build this thing out hire all the right people like pull everybody from a you know olympic training facilities and yeah. teams and professional yeah. teams and we just get like best of the best and we bring everybody in and uh, i knew the ortho guys really well because i trained in, in um in balboa the hospital out here in san diego or out there in san diego and so i had ortho rounds coming through i had pain clinic coming through and doing their rounds we had acupuncture we had pts atc like we had everything which yeah, then, it's amazing. Which then made me like the dumbest guy around because like, <laughs> now I was like, I don't like. I, I, there's people who are better at everything than me, so I, I don't really know. And so, in, in the military fashion, that means that I should be in charge of all those people. So, and, and, they just, and now you're now you're the coordinator. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Now you're now you're going to manage all these people who know more than you. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's that's great. Um, and so. Uh, you know, my office was actually in the in the facility. So the facility was a, a a rehab, like a proper physical therapy rehab with some equipment, like some exercise equipment, but mainly like physical therapy and modalities and stuff. Um, and then there was a hallway, and then the other side was a gym, and it was you know just sort of a normal gym, um, and that was called the bridge gym. So the idea was you go through rehab, and then we have a trainer work with you in the bridge gym when you aren't quite ready to get back to your platoon, but you're, you know, you're too good, you know, like you're in too good a shape to be just working at PT and the physical therapy right. anymore. So, and that hallway in between there was my office and a couple other people's offices. And so what happened is the team guys would come in my office and they'd shut the door um, because there were still plenty of guys there that I'd been a SEAL with um, and, you know, that, that knew me or at least knew of me. Um, I'd gone through training with, I'd deployed with, whatever. And, um, and, and of course, no, you know, SEALs don't trust doctors because that's the guy who can put you on the bench, which is like the worst thing that could possibly 100%. So, you do not talk to those yeah, guys. So we, yeah. When you yeah. talk to a doctor, it's like, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's Everything is perfect. I'm, I'm 100% ready to <laughs> yeah. go at all times. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, the doctor will be like, well, that, that, 
it kind of looks like you have a bullet hole right there. And, oh no, nope. no, that was nope, nope. That was just something <laughs> I ran into in the fence and the, yeah, put a little tape on that. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to get put on the bench, man. Um, and so, that's what you say. You say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so yeah. So anyway, these guys uh, would come to my office and they'd shut the door and they'd just be, you know, just completely raw and vulnerable with me. <clears throat> Because they trusted me. Uh, right. They knew I wasn't going to put them on the bench. There's no way in hell I was ever going to do that. So You just want to treat them. You just yeah, want to like, treat them. I'm, I'm here to serve you guys whatever's bothering you, right? I don't care what's bothering yeah. you. Like, you tell me and I'll figure out how to, how to do it. So, so they come to my office and they were telling me, you know, about their mood. Like, how, like how, they just have these wild vacillations in mood. Uh you know, angry and snappish with their kids and their family and like want to murder people in traffic and, uh, you know, and their memory just really sucks. They're like, you know, I, I can't, I can't concentrate. I can't remember anything. It takes me like five times leaving my office before or leaving my house to go to work, you know, and I, I get in my car and I realize I forgot my badge and I go and I get my badge. I come back and start pulling out. I realize I forgot my wallet and I go back and you know, like, and this is every single morning of my life. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, go, and then go to briefings and like, can't like, just can't follow it. Just sit there and like, you know, 30 seconds goes by and you're thinking about something totally different. Um, <clears throat> their body composition was shifting. Like they were, they were getting super smart on nutrition. Uh, even before we hired a nutritionist, they were all listening to like Rob Wolf's podcast and those kind of early right. days things. Um, you know, they were being as smart about their training as they possibly could. They were like, really taking it seriously because, as you know, like performance is everything. Like you're, it doesn't, doesn't matter how smart you are, or what your rank is. It's how, it's like, how well do you perform at your job? And right. um, so, you know, knowing that that's their reputation and essentially their identity is caught up in their performance. And so that's your whole life. Yeah. That's so your whole life. If, yeah. I mean, if you put on 10 pounds of fat, like you're a completely different person to yourself at that yeah. point. Right. Um, and so, you know, they came in and they gave me this whole litany of, sim of symptoms. Um, you know, they're just everything that you would kind of guess. So, I mean, that you know at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, they, the problem for me once they told me all of this was that um, there wasn't a single person who came in my office. Well, to, to clarify, like, I, I probably listened to that story three to 400 times over the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the yeah. exact same story. I, I could have yeah. told it for them by about, that's the, how, it, by about the, that's exactly how it ended up in my book Yeah, because there was such a pattern. Yeah. Reappe yeah. Repeating pattern with this sort of thing. Yeah. So by like the 20th guy, I, I could have just said, well, sit right here. I'll tell you your story. It'll be quicker. And I'll just photocopy yeah. this guy's <laughs> and put your name on it. Yeah. Um, right. But, but no, so I, and at the, and at the end, you're like, does that sound about right? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, good. Um, so, yeah, but so I, I would listen to them uh, purely because they didn't have disease and I didn't know what the hell to do. Um, because I didn't know what was causing any of it, but it was so consistent. And I was just so everybody would tell it, you know, would tell it with some variety to where some variation to where it would cause me to ask a different question or think of something different. And probably about the hundredth guy who came in my office telling me the same thing told me that he took two Ambien every night and drank like three to four cocktails every night. And then he slept. <clears throat> um, 
from about midnight to 4 a.m. Then he woke up at 4 a.m. and was wide awake, couldn't go back to sleep. So he'd go to the gym and work out really hard and then go straight to work. And that way he'd be super tired when he came home the next night and he'd be able to sleep. Yeah. And I'd say, well, how long have you been trying that? It'd be like five years. And I'm like, okay. Yep. Yeah, keep trying. You know, it's probably probably just a time thing. Like, if you just keep going, it'll work eventually. No. And uh, so anyway, when this guy said that, like, the, this light bulb went off on my head. And I was like, you know, I think a lot of these guys said that they take Ambien. Mm-hmm. So, like, being a, like, being a Western-trained physician and, um, you know, not being a sleep specialist or anything like that, I didn't know anything about sleep. Like, neither did any other doctor I know. Like, um, yeah. And basically, like, I didn't have a single lecture on sleep. They never talked about sleep. They never talked about sleep physiology, why we sleep, like, what it, the benefits are, what, like, what interferes. Like, I didn't know any of that. So... No, you just know that they just tra- they just train doctors to go. Oh, you don't sleep. Here's Ambien or Lunesta right. or Prazosin or yeah. Yeah. So act- yeah, there's actually like you know if you if you look in the medical literature like how do you treat sleep? It's like the very first thing you do is you teach them a little bit of sleep hygiene, which was so rudimentary as to be useless. Um, and you know teach it and tell them they need to relax and meditate or something like like that. <laughs> then when that doesn't work, you give them Ambien. When that doesn't work, you give them benzos. And when that doesn't work, you give them antidepressants. And when that doesn't work, you give them antipsychotics. And it, like you're just Jesus. And of course, let's you, just let's just kill a guy. Right? Why don't we? Yeah. And so let's just drug them into submission, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, the other thing is that all of those drugs are disqualifying. Like somehow Ambien slipped through the cracks, um, but. In the in the SEAL teams, if you're taking if you're dependent on a drug um, that's right. that we call it uh, that is a psychoactive drug that affects your brain, which is almost every drug, right? Um, right. If you're dependent upon one of those drugs, then you can't be an active duty SEAL because hence hence the reason everybody in a team is a okay, right, at right. all times. Yeah, so yeah. That's why they're never going to tell me anything. And so, <laughs> So I'm like, all right, well, we'll like we'll figure this out. And so, um, you know, I, the 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 fortunate thing for me was I'd been, you know, being being the the seals had been around long enough, and the war had been going on long enough to where the seals were developing, you know, the sort of semi celebrity status that they have now. And yeah. so I could call up all these experts all over the world and. I would say, hey, I read your book. I listened to your TED talk. I've heard your podcast. I saw you speak. Um, I'm the doc for the West Coast SEAL teams. Could I come train with you? Could I consult with you? Could I bring you by? The- right. And, and every, every one of them were just overjoyed and enthusiastic to give their time away. And so it worked out great for me because I, I mean, talk about a J curve of learning. I, I mean, I learned more. In the first two years in that job than I probably learned in all of college and medical school combined. Um, but you know, that just says something like, I, and I've, I've experienced this also with, with Marshock and, and being a Raider, but like how awesome it is for those people that get paid, let's be honest, to get paid thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to do what they do for a weekend. Yeah. And to teach that. And they're just like seal teams, mm-hmm. special operations teams. Absolutely. I'll give you everything that I have. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and then the other thing I did is I, I said, well, 
let me do some research on Ambien and see if any of these symptoms could be caused by um, the Ambien, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'd initially, my, so, well, let me back up a step. So when I talked to all these different experts, they all kind of had different uh, magic wands, right? Um, they all kind of thought that, well, here's the answer and here's how I do it. And so I just kind of added all of theirs together because I didn't know who was right. Um, and I was doing these labs that were, I don't know, they were like, there's like 17 vials of drugs or 17 vials of blood and uh, like, I don't know, 160 some odd lab reports came out of this. I, it was just a pure shotgun, like anything that could possibly give me a piece of information, let's do it. Uh, yeah. I ended up getting in a lot of trouble for that because I guess the, like the actual military cost of performing those labs was like $1,500 per lab. And I was doing that five or six <laughs> times to 300 guys, you know. Um, so they weren't, they weren't big fans of that. They made me kind of whittle that down. But after I understood more, I could. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I noticed is when I look at these people's labs, and this is, you know, this is sometimes a 28-year-old seal with you know seven percent body fat and jacked and you know seems completely he's an athlete yeah Yeah. he's a professional athlete right and and then sometimes it was guys closer to my age you know they're you know they're 40 ish and they're still in good shape and they're still doing the job um and you would expect some slowdown to them but i mean for their age like they're in amazing shape and right um and uh but if I look at their labs, they look like seventy-year-old men with metabolic syndrome. Or you know, I'm so glad that I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah. yeah, because the same thing happened to me. I was in my early 30s, and the doc looked at me and he said, "If I didn't look at you and I saw this, I thought you would be a 72-year-old male." Yeah, 17-year-old male, 40 pounds overweight, pre-diabetic, metabolic syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, probably can't walk around the block without being winded. That's that's what he said. Yep. He said, honestly, I think that it would be like you're 72 years old and you're about to go on a walker. Yep. This is what he told me. Yeah. And so I was seeing this pattern and I'm like, shit. Uh, so the first thing I thought was adrenal fatigue because one of the first guys I started with right. was a naturopath and he was really into adrenal fatigue. And so I started uh, working with him heavily and I was doing all sorts of IV drips on guys and um, you know, doing over-the-counter supplements to help improve adrenal function and, you know, getting them into like float chambers and some, uh, you know, box breathing and meditative mm-hmm. stuff and heart math and like all this stuff, just trying to see what I could do about that, changing their diets around a little. And I had some success with that. I mean, guys, I was going to say that's a, that those are all great starts. Yeah. All those things are great starts. And, yeah. And guys were getting like, you know, 30% better, you know, but they, it, it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination solving the issue, um, or the issues. And so, uh, I went, I, I literally went to like college level physiology books to start learning about sleep and just like, all right, you know, what is sleep? What happens when you sleep? Like, why do we sleep? What, you know, what doesn't happen when you don't sleep? And then I, I learned enough about that to where I could then go really evaluate the the research on the sleep drugs and see you know, how do those things make you sleep and you know what are the uh, you know what what are, what are sort of the trade offs of taking these drugs and what I found was really surprising to me is that sleep drugs 
don't really lead to sleep. They lead to being unconscious. And right. all of the things that go on when you sleep, which it would take me hours to describe all of them, but basically everything, every, like everything good, uh, everything growth oriented in your body, whether it's your, you know, cognitive growth or physiologic growth or repair or fighting off disease or parasites, whatever, mm -hmm. like that's all happening while you're asleep. You don't, right. you don't repair during the day. You don't get stronger while you're working out, obviously. You get weaker, and then your body repairs itself in a stronger fashion to be able to handle what you did today so that you're more prepared to do the same thing tomorrow. Um, Dude, I'm so glad that you just said that. I, I want to take that clip and post it all by itself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so when you don't get good sleep, you aren't repairing the equipment, right? So it could be simplistic with it and, like, you know, just – you know, just say like we're talking about a Humvee or something and every day, every day it goes out, it gets some damage. And if you only fix, you know, 60% of the damage every day, eventually it's not going to be too long before that thing's, you know, useless. But so, if you repair a hundred percent of the damage every day, then that truck will perform pretty much just like it was just like designed right. for as long as you keep uh, doing the repairs. So, my research, and, and this is, uh, we're kind of touching on it here. So my research was really like anti-sleep meds because, I mean, I got I got out of the military. I didn't think I had any issues. And then I just got hit with a Mack truck of issues. Right. Um, and I've been very public about this. It's in, all, it's in the book. Every, you know, it's all out there. But when I started researching this and getting healthy, I found, because I was heavily drinking, because yep. a lot of people, you know, a lot of people drink, a lot of our guys. Yep. Even the guys that are at professional athlete status yep. will, will have, you know, several glasses of whiskey at night or a few beers to, to take the edge off and go to sleep. Yep. But I found out with alcohol, Ambien, Lunesta, any sleep aid whatsoever, you don't actually get in REM, which means you don't actually sleep and get all those benefits from recovery. Right. You're like you said, you're just going unconscious. Can you, is that accurate? Can yeah. you, can you articulate it a little bit better yeah, than that? So when, so when we do like, you know, the the best definition of what it means to be asleep is the lack of being awake. And that it sounds rhetorical, but what the the reality of our physiology is we don't have like we don't have a mechanism to put us to sleep. We have a mechanism to take away our wakefulness. And okay. taking so we have a bunch of uh, chemicals in our bodies and in our brains. They're telling our bodies and brains that it's daylight outside and it's time for us to be active and go do what humans do. And once the blue light goes out of our eyes, once the sun goes down, uh, that starts changing the physiology of our brain, which then changes the physiology of our body. And then we, you know, it's in our language. We fall asleep and we drift off to sleep, right? We don't, it's not like a hard switch. It's not like we switched off and went to sleep. Like it's, right. it's this passive process of becoming less and less awake. Um, and one, one of the natural things that happens is, is this neuropeptide called GABA, capital G-A-B-A. -A. Yep. Yep. Um, and what that really does is it, it it's, I mean, there, it's just one of the mechanisms that does this, but it's, it's a pretty robust one. Um, and that it, it slows down the neocortex. So it slows down the part of our brain that allows us to interact with our environment. And it makes it harder for those neurons to fire. And you can feel this happening to you. Like you can, you can feel yourself from being totally con 
to be like, I can still hear people talking, but I'm not really involved in that until I, and then it just kind of eventually fades off and you don't, and you don't have any uh, subjective experience of yourself anymore. And you in there, this dream, uh, you know, sleep state. And then your next subjective experience is when you wake up. Uh, so that's why it's such a nebulous area. But, you know, what we've done over the course of about 70 years of sleep medicine, you know, really it started with just observing babies' eyes moving around a bunch. And that's where, you know, the REM, REM came from. And then they uh-huh. documented this in labs and that they, they found when that this tend to happen in a pattern throughout the night. And if you wake people up during REM, they'll be dreaming and they'll talk about, they'll remember their dreams. And there's other times of the night where their eyes aren't moving like that. And, um, and so, you know, with a combination of putting a ton of electrodes, so they do the EEGs where they're studying all your brain waves. Um, and they're, they're basically looking for these big clusters of movement uh, toward, towards and away from certain parts of the brain. Um, and they're checking your respiratory rate and your pulse oximetry and your neuromuscular tension and how much you're moving, which is called actigraphy. And then they combine all of this data into one thing called a histogram. And what a histogram is, is this really kind of um, geometric uh, uh, representation of, you know, here you are awake and then you go down into uh, stage two sleep and you're there for a few minutes and then you go down into stage three, which is the beginning of deep sleep, and then stage four, which is the deepest of the deep sleep. And that used to be called theta and delta um, stages three and four, but they just kind of call it all slow wave sleep now. So we'll call that slow wave or deep sleep. And then, and then you come back and then over a period of time, you come back out of that and you go to a period of REM sleep and REM sleep is actually a higher state of brain activity than just being awake. Um, and so different things are happening when you're in the deep sleep and then what's happening in the REM when you're in the deep sleep, it's essentially the exact opposite of fight or flight. So, you know, when you're in fight or flight, you get tunnel vision, your lungs expand, you start you know, breathing more, your blood flows to your skin, your pain threshold goes up, your muscle, your blood glucose shoots up to give you energy, uh, your reflexes get faster, you, you, know, you hyper-focus on whatever, you're on the threat, um, and you're kind of superhuman during that period of time. But there's a cost to that. Like there's a lot of stuff that isn't happening. Like you aren't digesting anything. You aren't fighting off infections. You aren't you aren't repairing any damage. You're not producing sex hormones because like if you don't survive this event, none of that matters. So your body puts all right. of its resources into the fight or flight. Well, the exact opposite of that is deep sleep. When you're in deep sleep, none of that stuff is happening. You're you know it's the exact opposite. You know you're yeah, everything is going towards repairing your body, and that's when you're secreting growth hormone and testosterone <laughs> and your thyroid hormone. And that's when your immune, your immune system is functioning at its highest. That's when you're repairing, you know, the strained tendons and ligaments and muscles that you've, you know, used during that day. That's when everything's actually recharging, getting rid of the waste products, bringing in extra supplies of nutrients and getting ready for the next day. You go into, and, the, and there's some flushing of toxins and um, waste products out of your brain as well. Um, that happens by some cells sort of contracting in your brain and creating some pathways for the CNS to uh, uh, 
sorry, CSF, um, the, to flush through and get these waste products out of your brain, make your brain better. And then, and then to, some, to some degree during deep sleep and also during REM sleep, you're doing what's called pruning. Um, so you're like getting rid of useless information uh, mm-hmm. in your brain, and you're, but you're also reinforcing um, important information. And so a lot, of, a lot of how you feel about anything that happens um, in your life is determined by how well you sleep. Because when you sleep, all, like, all of that gets sort of rehearsed in your brain and thought of again, and it gets emotionally categorized, and it gets you know, ranked in importance, and it gets attached to different regions of the brain. Um, because this pathway has now been proven to be significant, or this event has proven to be significant, so it's it's really kind of put in a file cabinet and has a bunch of um, you know it has a bunch of connections to other areas of your brain in case you need that information again. So when you do when you drink um, when you drink alcohol, it destroys about fifty percent of deep sleep and about fifty per maybe only 30, 30 to fifty percent of REM sleep. When you take sleep drugs, it's kind of the opposite. Sleep drugs re- remove about 80% of REM and about 20 to 30% of deep sleep. <clears throat> so, man, this is this so, cr- crazy. So that, so that's why I say, when you take these sleep drugs, by you know, by the definition of somebody who's who's studying what's going on in your body, you aren't actually sleeping. You're just unconscious. You've lost. You've lost your subjective uh, interaction with the world, and we've seen these in clinical trials. And of course, the the pharmaceutical companies get to cherry pick their data, and they and they didn't really report this at the beginning, but it obviously came out. And they were, you know, all the Z drugs basically have been successfully sued because they all they did was dissociate the person's neocortex from their mammalian and lizard brain and so and knock them and knock them out well yeah not even knock them out necessarily because you know people were getting in their cars and driving places and picking up oh, picking up prostitutes yeah. and eating you know like eating whatever like i had a i had a patient well she's just a friend of mine but she's a nurse and and a doctor had given her sleep drugs I think Ambien, and and she was divorced, and she had her kids fifty fifty, and so she was home alone on a weekend, and uh, took an Ambien, and then the next morning went downstairs, and her her whole house her house had been completely ransacked while she was asleep, and like there was food wrappers all over the place, and things that, like knocked over, and everything in disarray. And so she panicked and she ran back upstairs and locked the door and called the police and said, I guess it happened. She don't know if they're still in the house and so on and so forth. And turns out it was her. Um, she just didn't remember, but she went downstairs and like, you know, <clears throat> was cook, cooking herself macaroni and cheese and eating like crappy foods and had the television on and was uncoordinated, knocking things over. Um, and we and we've actually Nuts. we've actually observed these in clinical trials where you put it you know you give somebody a sleep drug put them in their bed and then you just observe them like through cameras and uh, and you know they'll get out of bed you know two hours after being in bed and they'll go play video games for three or four hours and eat some food whatever go get back in bed 
fall asleep for a couple more hours and then wake up. And if you ask them how they slept, they're like, great. Like I slept from whatever, I slept eight hours. And then you can show them the videos like, oh, no, actually six of those hours, you're up running around your house doing, um, you know, playing video <laughs> games and eating food and whatever. Um, God knows what else. Yeah. God knows what else. So, uh, so anyway, to make a long story longer, I, uh, I said, well, I, I think this would probably explain a lot of the cognitive problems that the guys are having. And it would explain a lot about why their hormones look so bad because it, it's not, they aren't really sleeping. Um, and of course, being a medical doctor, when I first saw their labs, I just wanted to go fix everything. It's like, hey, your thyroid's low, I want to give you thyroid, your testosterone's low, I want to give you testosterone, your estrogen's high, I want to bring that down. Like, you know, your growth hormone's low, I want to increase that. And uh, your inflammatory markers are high, your oxidative pathways are high, I want to push those down. And like, but again, this special, you know, spec war, I can't do this. Um, right. And they're not, they're not a, about to even consider letting me give guys hormones, which you know wouldn't have been the right wouldn't have been the right move anyway. Now now that I know what I know, but <clears throat> anyway, so that led to me being able to talk to the seals in big groups multiple times. Um, when you have these big symposiums pre pre deployment post deployment, we'd bring in all these guest speakers and. That's how I met guys like Rob Wolf and John Wellborn and Sisson and like all like kind of all of that lunatic fringe uh, health. Uh, which which I think they're amazing. Yeah. Every single one of those yeah, guys all, are just all great, amazing. All great guys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Rob was this nutrition guy who talked like 30 percent of his lecture about sleep. And I was a sleep guy talking about 30 percent of my lecture about nutrition. So he and I had an instant bromance and we're good friends to this day. Uh, he he actually lives in Austin now too. So um, um, anyway, I I decided well if we can get these guys off of sleep drugs and then we can do just some regular supplementation to help push their their pathways towards being more anabolic. I, I think we can I think we can make a big difference. And so the only problem was I couldn't just take away their sleep drugs because they weren't sleeping at all. With drugs right so i had to figure out well what can i give them you know supplement wise that will help them sleep and there you know there's just there wasn't a whole lot of great research on it there was this that kind of helped and this that could kind of help and this and that and this herb and that and i'm not a naturopath i don't know anything about herbs i'm not about to get into that so i was like all right well let's talk about the physiology what actually happened so your brain produces melatonin to kind of initiate this whole cascade. What does your brain need to produce melatonin? Well, it needs tryptophan and 5-hydroxytryptophan. You know, tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan. And then with the help of magnesium and vitamin D3, that becomes serotonin. And then serotonin becomes melatonin. Um, and so I'm like, all right, well, let's put all that in there, right? Um, and then magnesium has some other effects to kind of slow down the brain and relax muscles and all that stuff. And then the GABA pathway I was talking about. Uh, so right. let's give them a bunch of GABA. Um, and, I, and I just kept adding ingredients, but it was, it was just all based on normal physiology, like what should be high, what should be in high concentration, make sure that all the lumber's there, all the raw materials are there, but your brain and body still have to do the work. Like I, I'm right. not doing anything to make that happen. 
Whereas all the sleep drugs, what they do is they bind GABA receptors. And if there was, if there was one, say like if there's one ambient molecule and a thousand GABA molecules all around one receptor, the ambient molecule would, would get it 99 times out of 100. So it, it binds with a much higher affinity. It gets in much easier. Um, but then when it binds that receptor, that then kind of sends signals to the cell to tell the cell what to do about this thing being bound to it. And the effect that one, you know, the, the effect that the drugs have is about a thousand times more intense than GABA itself. So that's why it leads to this really big dissociation and this really calming brain effect. But it also then, because you have such a big response, it also then, your body's a smart machine. And if it doesn't have to make something, it doesn't make it, right? So if, you, if, you're, getting a, if you're getting a thousand times the effect from this one molecule and to one receptor, well, then you can get rid of 900 receptors and still be ahead, right? And so okay. what happens is once you get off the Z drugs, you don't have enough you don't have enough GABA receptors anymore to even sleep in a normal fashion if everything was going perfect because you've just downregulated the number of receptors you have. So there's not a chance for your normal your normal brain physiology to get you to sleep. Um, so that's one of the big problems with these with these Z drugs and one of the big problems with benzodiazepines and why they're so dangerous and so hard to get off of. So, um, I, I worked with people who, who understood this really well. I did, uh, tinctures where, um, so if they were taking like 10 milligrams of Ambien, I would have this tincture where it'd be 10 drops under their tongue and then I'd have them do nine drops and then eight drops. And, then, and so they would titrate off of that while they were using all these supplements, um, that I gave them. And I got a hundred percent of them off of sleep drugs. Uh, convinced them to drink less. I was never going to convince them not to drink. Uh, right. But convince them to drink less, value their sleep more. Um, the the uh, you know the training cadre actually took interest in what I was doing and had me go out to training sites and sort of design the the you know, birthing areas you know to be blackened out and put you know, red lights in the galley and stuff if they're going to be awake and all these types of things and so. Um, you know, I would say 90% of the guys uh, went up in pretty much every marker that had looked so what kind of what kind of timeline are we talking? So you get a guy like myself. So like for me, I didn't sleep from 09, like everything you're talking about, from not 09 to 14. Yeah. I was in that world. And so what, what kind of time when you get a patient, what, what are we looking at time-wise of effort? So the... The SEALs, uh, when I worked with the SEALs, and you'd fall in this category, I'm sure, but they were, they were exceedingly dedicated people and, uh, and disciplined, and they, would, and they came back and gave me feedback nearly every day, definitely every week. Um, and so those guys were, were able to ramp <coughs> I was able to get them back into sort of the optim their optimal performance levels pretty quickly. Um, so for like a really young guy who maybe had been doing this for five years, um, 
we I'd get that guy back to where he felt like he was awesome in three months and then six months, probably he would look like he was awesome in labs as well. Um, and then, you know, I'd say for the guys who were closer to my age and been doing it for 15 years, those guys took about twice as long. So they'd feel really good at six months. Some of them were, but this one guy who is, uh, this, he was the CEO of one of the teams, a really competitive athlete, um, competed in like some powerlifting and CrossFit and Jiu-Jitsu and all sorts of other stuff. And he was hitting, he went from like feeling like he wanted to quit everything because he just, he couldn't, he couldn't move. Uh, he just didn't have the motivation and energy to, to do what he wanted to do. Uh, nine months later, he, re, he hit a PR in like everything that he ever, everything he competed in. He was in his mid forties. Um, <coughs> so, you know, <clears throat> my, like my personal belief is that a lot of what we call aging, is just, you know, it, it's just damage and most of it is sleep deprivation. Um, and if you, if you get people to sleep really well and eat really well and, and, uh, you know, focus on, uh, you know, training smart. And I think with the, ad, how easy it is to get heart rate variability and stuff now. I mean, I, I think the average person, uh, walking around could do this in six months, you know, um, and but it takes effort, right? It, like that's, yeah, that's I mean, what I, it takes, there's a lot of effort. There's a lot of, it's not as simple as take and the, and the seals, I mean, the seals bitched for years because they had to go all buy all these different supplements. This is pre Amazon. So they were going to, you know, five different supplement stores and buying all different types of stuff. Right. So they, you know, out of just pure peer pressure, they convinced me into making it into a product, which actually turned out to be a business. And I was just making it so the seals would get off my back. And actually, you know, it, it's one of it's one of the I don't really work in it anymore. I like other people run it, but it turned out to be a reasonably good business. And you know, now you know, whatever thirty or thirty or forty thousand people. Have, have used that now to get improve their sleep and get off of drugs and all that. So yeah, and that I just talk about that a lot because I'm like <laughs> I, I think it's even in the book, but I, I you know guys, especially you know guys in special operations or professional athletes, like you think that you took the time and reps and training to get you where you are on the on the on the outside, right? Right. And you think that you're going to have like some quick thing when it comes to recovery? Like no, like <laughs> you've got to put the time and reps in with recovery just as much as you do with, you know, being on the range or working out like recovery is you have to put the effort in and the time just as much as you do the output. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not going to become, you're not going to become an amazing athlete overnight and you're not going to recover from anything overnight. So by, by, or by taking a pill or by taking a pill. Right. Um, right. And yeah. And that's my frustration with all of the, the way the media handles, you know, blood doping in sports and in performance enhancing drugs and whatever. And, and, you know, people have such a distorted view of that. I, I tell them, look, I could give you every drug known to man your entire life and you would never beat Lance Armstrong in a single stage of a single race. Ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> if he never right. took any drugs, if he never <laughs> right. did anything, he would smoke you. Uh, so, <laughs> Like it, it's still about the work. It's still about you know having the genetic potential and the and the discipline and you know the luck of not getting injured and all that other stuff. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. 
Um, so somebody that's listening, somebody that's listening, um, and they're and they're just starting. Like they listen to this and they're like, "I'm on sleep meds. I'm on. Uh, I'm on sleep meds. I or I drink at night, and I know that I'm not sleeping the way that I'm supposed to be." Yeah. Um, what, like, where do we start? Um, like, if you could give them like a, a rundown. I mean, you could even say, "Hey, go to my website, buy this, buy this product." Yeah. But like, where where does someone start if they have these um, issues? So, so my my current job, like where, so my my real profession where I make my money is I I do consulting now. I do I, I mean I do consulting for organizations and sports teams and stuff like that. But my like my my main practice and my main passion is I work one on one with guys for a year, and it's sort of like okay, it's like a health makeover year, right? So these are guys who are 45, 55 years old. They traded their health for wealth for you know 20, 30 years. Now they want to be in great shape again because they sold their company for a hundred million dollars, and they don't care about the money, but they want to be in great shape. And right, so I spend the whole year working with these guys, and I can tell you that. The hardest part of this year, even when these guys know who I am, if you saw my application and how many times I mentioned sleep in here, um, it, would, it would astound you that, that still the number one complaint is people say they can't sleep eight hours, they don't have time. Like, it's too much time, I can't spend eight hours in bed. Um, so what I always tell people is that the number, the number one factor to getting in sleep is believing that you actually need that sleep and you know you can go you can go buy people's books and read newspaper articles and blogs and stuff that tell you different that you can buy and hack your way out of this and if that's what you want to hear that's what you're going to gravitate toward but i can tell you that it makes no sense that you could that you it would even be possible to biohack your way out of it because if you think about how vulnerable the human species is while they're asleep and how long we've been evolving, and we still have not evolved to sleep less than eight hours a night. Like, if somebody could have slept four hours a night and been just as healthy, natural selection would have favored that, and we would all be sleeping four hours a night, right? Uh, <laughs> right, um, yeah. So you're, you're not going to biohack your way out of this and putting butter in your coffee and you know, electrodes on your head or something. Like, that's not going to solve your issues. What you're doing is you're mitigating the damage with some of these other things. So the number one thing is just to really, really, really value sleep. Just to convince yourself, if nothing else, that it's, I'm gonna make, that it's important. I'm going to make sleep my number one priority for a week. And I don't mean I'm going to make it really important. Like, I'm, it's going to eat my brain. Like, this is all I'm going to think about is how I can get better sleep. And then my entire life is going to be scheduled around my sleep time for the next week if you can yeah. get yourself to do that i won't ever need to teach you anything because you will go find and consume any information you need because as soon as you do that and you feel what it feels like to get a, a full week of real sleep and you'll be like how was i even functioning before i i would like i was living half the life and i don't care what your goals are it could be to be a better parent it could be an age group athlete it could be military it could be law enforcement it could be all physical all cognitive be the smartest guy in the boardroom doesn't matter your performance is 100% based on how well you sleep and so once you get people to value it enough to give it a solid try 
they will be addicted and they're going to figure it out on their way on their own. Right. I have a, right. Um, if you go to my website and you, um, I don't know, I think right when you go on the website or soon thereafter, like a pop-up window will be like, Hey, do you like give us your email and we'll send you a free ebook. We don't spam email people. Like that's only if, I, I, it's only about my information. Like if I'm having, so this is the Kirk, Kirk parsley.com. It, no, it's a doc parsley, D O C doc parsley, doc parsley.com. Okay. Um, I also have a book on Amazon called sleep to win, which, um, is about, I don't know, probably five times more in depth than the ebook. Um, but they're both really short, easy read. They're the, it's the basic foundations, uh, of everything. And then if you, you know, obviously, if you feel like you uh, need the supplement or you want to try the supplement, then you can order that off the site as well. Um, and I, you know, the, I had, if I mean, even if you just put my name into Google, if you put Kirk Parsley and hit videos and like all the, U, there's tons of YouTube videos of my lectures, there's uh, my TED Talks out there, like, like all that kind of stuff. Um so you could you can listen to me blather for hours about that stuff, um, but really it's it's a matter of making it a priority for long enough to feel the experience of it, and then you'll just be hooked, and you'll you know the internet. No, I'm. The internet I mean, I'm in. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna get the supplement, and I'm gonna down. I'm gonna download both of those books. All right. Um, cool. Um, and you know, when when you and I were first talking, I think maybe even before we started recording, um, I. So my philanthropic work really now is that I, I still work with the SEALs a lot. Um, and I primarily work with um, retired SEALs or guys who've transitioned. And we were talking earlier about the transition. And so I, I, uh, I go to a lot of education and I educate myself a lot. And I work with a lot of guys on... Um, the transition from being in this spec war community to being in some corporate setting or something like that, um, or just you know being home with your family for the first time in your career and all that. Um, right. And so I I do a lot of work with the traumatic brain injury and the PTSD symptoms and you know the, the compensatory behaviors that we all engage in, like when. Everybody in spec war has their, their backpack memorized, right? Like, the, like yeah. everything goes in exactly the same spot every time or you'll lose it. You'll forget it. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I mean, I, to this day, I can sit in a dark room and I can find anything in my backpack in like five seconds. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't translate to the civilian sector, you know. Um, and when you're, in an, when you're in an organization where everybody's short-term memory sucks and everybody's attention sucks and you know everybody's dealing kind of with the same types of issues um and, you know and there and you know there's some cognitive emotional issues in there that are really due to the sleep deprivation and the chaotic sleep much more so than what the actual events were it's just like uh that, like, as i said like all that stuff gets categorized and put in its place while you're asleep and if you aren't sleeping well then that that stuff can be random and that's what i believe ptsd really is is it's just like an appropriate filing of all sorts of information and so, absolutely that's right it's that uh it's like that uh file folder it's out of the out of the cabinet and it's right. just every time you open it, it's just banging against the 
banging against the cabinet instead of being filed appropriately. Right. Yeah, and if and if you and if you know and if you just keep opening this thing up and you don't understand it because it's not filed correctly, it just causes more and more distress. Um, right. And so, you know, I, I like I, I go to people's facilities and I see what they're doing and um, you know, and I, I guide people through treatment. Obviously, I don't do everything, but I have connections for guys to do hyperbarics and you know, transcranial magnetic stimulation and transcranial ultrasound and um, you know, sensory deprivation and cryotherapy and psychedelics if they want to do that. And like, and kind of all of those things are out on the table. So I'd love to do a, like another podcast with you just about that stuff like that. Absolutely. That would be, yeah, I was, I was just thing. thinking, I was like, man, we could break each one of these down into like a different hour. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, yeah. there's so much information with each. I mean, we could talk about traumatic brain injury for an hour in recovery. Yeah. You know, and, and, so. And there's so many modalities and so much growing. I mean, there's, there's such great research with, you know, how hormones affect that. There's great research on a, a ton of really promising uh, peptides and exosomes and different ways to do stem cells and combine in combination with other treatments. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my, uh, just closest friends, a guy I, I love to death, just had like, a, uh, he just spent $30,000 for a two week treatment at a brain facility where they kind of did everything, uh, just sort of the shotgun approach. Cause he, he was under time constraint. Um, and I, I mean, and, and I'm glad he got the treatment and he's a lot better, but it also kind of frustrates me to think that that's, that that's the solution. Because how many ex-military guys do we have um, who need that and how many of them could afford to dump 30 grand? And, it, right. and that's not the solution. He's not fixed forever, right? That was just like a big move towards being healed, uh, but he still has a ton of work to do. So he'll probably end up spending a hundred grand. Uh, and he's a wealthy guy, you know, so that's not the same as, uh, you know, some operator coming out who only makes a hundred grand a year, you know? Right. Um, right. And, and maybe going to like some cubicle job somewhere where he's going to make even less than that. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to go through that and, and, uh, we, we could chat offline how to do that. I mean, we could do. And we could do an hour just on the different modalities. We could do an hour on the hormones. We could do an hour on peptides, probably, or stem cell. I mean, like everything. There's, there's so much information out there. Oh, man, you're speaking all my all the right words to me, yeah. Doc. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, well, man, I, I can't thank you enough for having on. I'm, this is uh, just... This is the information that I feel is just not getting out enough, and you know I don't I don't know how to get it out more other than just to keep talking about it. Yeah, and uh, and you've definitely you've definitely done the work, man. So it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, I, over this hour. And likewise, and and uh, and one like one addendum to what you just said, it, it just it just sparked this in my mind that um, I just went to an annual event out in San Diego. It's called the Seal Impact Forum. Forum. And then, and this is what they talk about, basically, You're like, you know, obviously we have disproportionate amount of suicides and we have all sorts of mm -hmm. people with drinking issues and drug addictions and um, things like that, you know, for the population, it just doesn't make sense that we have all this. And they had people talking about, you know, the, the, the the changes to the brain with recurrent blast injuries. And they had people talking about different type of 
you know, different ways to categorize trauma. And then they had people talking about different modalities to kind of help do, uh, you know, like say like the transcranial magnetic stimulation or whatever to mm -hmm. kind of change the way your brain's operating and different, and, and everybody had, you know, like everybody had their snake oil. Um, and then they brought one guy in to sort of, he's a, a brilliant guy, great, really entertaining lecturer. Um, uh, he's a MD, PhD, biostatistician, physician, psychologist, psychiatrist, and he, from Oxford and just great presentation. Um, and he basically went through and said, you know, here's what, here's good science and this is bad science and this is what you need to have good science. And if you don't have this, it's bad science. And so the good science we have is this, which was the Cochrane database. Um, which the Cochrane database is just the standard Western medical care. And so after his lecture, and I, I mean, I fully realized what I was, what I was saying. I just wanted him to realize that everyone in the room realized what I was saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. I went up to the microphone and I said, I said, all right. I said, you know, I've been dealing with these types of issues with our community for over 10 years. And I get the call all the time that some guy is floribly suicidal and I need to do something or I need to help this guy get some sort of treatment that's going to get him out of this. And 100% of the time I get that call, these people have exhausted the Cochrane database treatment for multiple years, right? They, mm -hmm. this has not worked for multiple years. So what would you advise me to do at that point? You know, given that everything needs to be research-based. And of course, he didn't have an answer because the, the research doesn't exist yet. I mean, like we're, we're gathering the research right now. Like there are guys going out and doing psychedelics and having amazing experiences. And then we aren't capturing it. It's like, well, why don't we do brain scans on them before and after? Why don't we do PET scans or spec scans right. or EEGs or neurocognitive testing or blood work or like, let's, you know, let's capture when people do that. Let's capture, let's get other markers for transcranial magnetic stimulation as to whether, you know, let's get something other than how you feel or like how you feel you feel. Like, you know, let's get something besides the subjective measure. Let's start seeing what, what we can actually measure being different. Um, but we have to do it because, I mean, I, I mean, I'll total, total Frank, uh, uh, conversation probably shouldn't say on on uh on air but uh, <laughs> i had my best friend from the seal team so i went through seal training with um who you know he spent 25 years in he only retired a few years ago and he'd you know been blown up blind in one eye like had all sorts of all sorts of medical issues uh 20 23 combat deployments with dev group uh you know and just like uh you know the uh, you know, the meat eating warrior. And, um, right. And he was just going down the toilet, man, like two, probably two years after he got out. And I, I mean, I had nothing for him. Like I'd done everything I know how to do. And he was like, he was like, he was going to kill himself. And he was very matter of fact about it. He wasn't upset about it. He wasn't angry. <laughs> like he was just like, no, yeah. this, this is the right thing to do. 
I talk, yeah, I, I talk a lot about that subject as well. And it, and it just comes down they're tired. Yeah. They're tired and yeah. exhausted and, and they, they just want to rest. They don't, they don't yeah. see any hope, right? Because right. they've been, they've been doing this for five years, what everybody, what all the experts are telling them to do. They've been doing it for five years. They're getting worse. And yeah. they're like, why am I going to keep doing this? Um, and so, I mean, I, I just grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. I'm <laughs> like, dude, we're going, we're going down to Mexico to do this drug that sometimes kills people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, right. I, you know, and I, I can tell you, I was scared out of my mind, but I mean, it was a, I mean, it was a legitimate clinic that was, you know, attached, yeah. attached to a hospital, very well controlled settings, but, uh, you know, it was a psychedelic that has had some bad outcomes, um, but it's supposed to be like this super impactful, quick way to get through um, a lot of uh, a lot of the um, ruminating thoughts and uh, yeah. triggered behaviors that you don't even understand the sources of and all that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they go down there and in like a three day period, man, he came out a completely different guy. And, you know, that was that was a long time ago. That was several years ago. And, and, uh, you know, now we've probably had a hundred guys do that over the course of years, the years. And I'm not saying that's the right solution, but I guarantee you there's not a medical body on this planet who would tell me I should be recommending that. So I don't, I just say, Hey, (laughs) I know some guys who've had some really good results with this. You might want to talk to them. It's, it's not, it's not, it's a, it's an avenue. Yeah. If, if need, if need be right. right? Just like, just like anything is. Yep. And some people do great with hyperbarics and some people do great with sensory deprivation and some people do great with meditation. And I think think one of the biggest things that you are like, what we've all discussed is anything, any treatment plan that you have, you have to be ready and open for it. Yep. If you're not ready and open for it, if you don't want to get better, it doesn't matter what it is. Like you've already made your mind up and you're not willing to accept the help. Well, I would, I would, I would submit that it's not that they aren't willing to get better. It's if you aren't willing to be vulnerable. That's a perfect word. That's, there you go. That's the key, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're, you're a fucking superhero, man. And like, yeah. and now all of a sudden you're admitting that you need help from some guy. That's you know, it. Like some random dude. <laughs> and you're just like, no, 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 no. Like I, like, you know, I, you don't understand who I am. Like I'm the shit. I, <laughs> I don't have these kind of problems. Uh, right. And if I do, mine are special. Right. And, right. and, and yeah. to some degree they are special. Right. Like I, I do agree to that. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, getting people to be vulnerable um, and, and that's actually the only reason I was able to help them help the team guys when I was there was because they were willing to be vulnerable with me. They'd come in my office and tell me the truth. Um, and they, you know, and, and they knew that I knew them and I knew their community and I was, I wouldn't, I wasn't judging them. I was right. like, all right, how are we going to figure this out? So, um, yeah, I mean, so much more we could talk about. I'd, uh, I'll, and, and I'll we, we're, no, 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 we're going to have to, this is, this is all too good. I think people are going to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, check out docparsley.com. Um, go get, go get yourself educated and, uh, be vulnerable and put the work in. Right. Right on. <laughs> Yep. That's it. All right. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, and I uh, look forward to our next iteration of all, of all this. All right. Likewise. All right. Talk to you all soon. Right. Bye. Bye. Yep. Hey, thanks for turning in this episode. Uh, what an amazing conversation. And, I, I mean, we're, I would say across the board, America, 
all needs to sleep better. I mean, this is not something that just applies to the special operations world or, or the you know professional athlete world, but this is really all of us. We all have uh, busy lives. We, you know, we're all trying to make things happen for our family, and uh, sometimes we get in a situation where sleep is just not something we're focusing on. And if we want to be the best, very best versions of ourselves, we have to be able to sleep better because once we sleep better, everything else is better. And when we're healthy, we can then pour into the others that we really care about. So uh, check out Doc Parsley's stuff. All the links are below this podcast. And, uh, and then also check out xwarrior.com. Ask me a warrior, the seven stages of transition, which we talk a lot about this and well. And uh, you guys know the deal. Own your shit. Own your shit and get better. And I will see you guys in the next episode.